Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, we hope everybody had a great 4th of July and, you know, vacation if you've done that already. It's vacation time and it's daily thunderstorm time too, It is. It's raining about every day, which is okay. Yeah, a little bit. We need some rain. So, yeah, yeah, but you're right. It's starting. It looks like it's going to be a daily occurrence here. That's that's what happens here in July and August. So uh, hang on to your hat here. But, you know, we have a great show lined up for today, as usual. We're going to start off talking about women in finances, right? Yeah, that's right. This is a really good discussion, and see, we we see uh, the consequences of um, you know women in particular not not being you know involved in the family finances, and typically in most relationships, many of the men um, you know take that as a responsibility. Not all relationships, we do see women that that handle this, but regardless of who's handling it, both parties need to be on the same page. They need to understand, um, you know, where, where the money is, how much, you know, there's just a lot of hidden pitfalls if you don't understand that. And so that's what this whole entire topic is going to be about is making sure primarily women take control in their finances. Yeah, man, it's a great topic. Very, very important too. So, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that and we're going to follow that up with, Five rich families who lost it all. Oh, that's real positive. Yeah. Well, we're looking oh. back at looking back at history. This is the history of of the United States. You know, I, yeah. we're talking about the Vanderbilts. We're talking about um, you know the Pulitzers, the Hartfords. Um, we're talking about the Strohs. We're talking about some families mm. that built these vast fortunes. Um, and great merchants, but yet their families lost it all. And we're talking about how that happened yeah. and, you know, maybe how you can prevent That's right. your family from losing their wealth, we, you we, know. We all probably road. won't have that kind of wealth, but the wealth no. that you do have, there are things that you can do to protect it going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love history too. It was interesting just researching this. So uh, I look forward to talking about that. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have uh, the link to the podcast on there. We also have a lot of tools, a retirement planner on there, some information about college uh, majors and what to expect from an earning standpoint. A lot of good information out there. We also have a uh, Twitter handle, MoneyMD, and a Facebook page, MoneyMD, as well. Yeah, and email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, the congressional um, office, and, uh, you know, there's a new uh, House bill, uh, Steve, it's called H.R. 860. It's a Social Security 2100 Act, and uh, they're looking at making some changes. We'll see if it goes through, but um, Social Security payroll taxes for the individual are currently 6.2%, and then the employer pays the other 6.2%, so right. total it's 124 but they're talking about increasing that very, very slowly by 0.1% every single year from 2020 to 2043, so that would take the total rate from 12.4 up to 14.8%. Sounds yeah. reasonable. It's slow. It's, um, you know, no one likes to have increased taxes, but it is one step that could shore it up. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting plan. I haven't heard that um, before this, but but yeah, that, that 
it's probably not a bad plan. It's very, very slow. I think most people could absorb that. But yeah, you don't you don't like having to pay higher taxes. It would be another one point four percent out of your paycheck eventually, but yeah. gee, it wouldn't we'd be twenty forty three before yeah. we got there. Yeah. We'll be retired, won't we? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we won't have to worry about it by then. It'll be our kids' problems. Yeah, there, there's some other things. I mean, I wish they would relook at the ages. I think people are living longer. Yeah, they had to move definitely. the 62 back to 63 or 64 and the full retirement age back a year or two. That would also help as well. And people could plan for that. It wouldn't, you know, right. people in their 40s <laughs> right. could certainly have a 20-year a window to, to, you know, get ready for those changes. But, you know, we'll see what goes goes through or not. Um, that's an interesting, that's the first time I had seen that one as well. Yeah, interesting fact of the week. And, um, you know, hopefully the next fact, they'll, they'll start tackling Medicare. That's going to be the yeah. bigger problem. Yeah, that's quick, quicker, much that's quicker too. Much quicker problem, right, exactly. All right, good topic. And that leads us up here to our first topic, women um, whose spouses, you know, control the finances and maybe putting themselves at risk, right? That's right. This comes from the Investment News uh, magazine, Mark Schaff, Jr. And a lot of examples in here we're going to go through and kind of talk about some things that that you can uh, maybe change. Uh, And this does focus on women that are not involved in this, but, you know, it, it goes the other way as well. If the husband is not involved in it and the the wife is is handling that then this certainly applies to that but in this first example there was you know this uh couple was married for over 40 years um the uh the wife um had a very strict budget she didn't feel like she had enough money to cover their expenses in New York and they had two kids and uh, unfortunately, her husband, you know, delighted in her struggles. So that was kind of his control mm-hmm. on on his his wife, and mm. um, she did take control and basically got a divorce from him because it was things were not going well. And she learned that they had over ten million dollars in investments. Oh wow! Just through the divorce. I mean, because she didn't know that beforehand. She didn't know anything. She didn't know anything. That's so terrible. It is. It, it it is. And so she did. You know, eventually stand up. You know, and and uh, push back and found out there was a whole bunch of money. Um, unfortunately, as she went through this process, she relied on her husband, who had basically treated her poorly, to help her with her finances going forward, which makes no sense at all. And uh, it's going to take her a long time to have confidence in herself to make those financial decisions. So, ten million dollars. She had no idea. She felt strapped. Obviously, it was uh, there were other. You know, marital issues going on, but financial peace was, you know, it was a control mechanism. Yeah, you know, that's that's sad to hear. Um, and, and there are those terrible situations out there like that. And, you know, they point out here it's been a generation since the feminist movement kind of gave women more power in society. But many women are, are still, you know, kind of like second class citizens when it comes to financial planning um, and understanding the finances in the home. You know, and there are several reasons for that. Some of them are practical, of course, you know, for, you know, they're they're focused on their very important job of raising children. And um, a lot of them are. And, and that's, you know, incredibly important, of course. Um, and so it's kind of the divide and conquer. And we kind of do that in our household, too. Um, but others, some of it's cultural. Um, but, you know, why women, you know, allow their spouses to steer the financial ship there are different reasons for that, but you know the, the the research shows that that women do tend to defer the financial decisions to their spouse more often than not. Um, but advisors warn that women who defer to men when it comes to finances may be putting themselves and their families at 
at risk. Yeah, absolutely. There was a poll that was done by UBS recently, about 3,600 women and about 60% defer long-term financial decisions to their, to their spouses or even ex-spouses. And um, participants included over 2,000 married women that had a lot of money, a million dollars in investable assets. And there were 1,400 who were divorced or widowed. And among the women surveyed in the United States, 54% said their spouse takes the lead in handling the family finances beyond paying the bills. And I think that's okay as long as there's understanding and discussions about what it is and where it is. I mean, Right. There needs to be a basic understanding of what's going on. For sure. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, this research, you know, the folks who did this basically said it was startling to find out that most women that they talked to, they had little or no involvement or understanding with those decisions. And there is a high cost to women not being involved in that in that process. So we're going to go through some other examples here. Yeah. And I do sit down with, with widows. And I know you do, too, mm-hmm. you know, from time to time who have absolutely no idea, you know, where yeah. things are and, and, you know, how much they have and, and, you know, what, how the finances were handled. So it's a very important point. Um, you need to have some basic understanding even if you're not doing it yourself. Um, but yeah, the majority of women, um, you know, they point out here who, who come don't have a clear understanding of finances in their marriage. Um, you know, when they, in, in some of these, uh, women, they're kind of starting at ground zero if something happens in their life, you know, and something yeah. happens to their spouse. Divorce or death or, yeah. Exactly. So they just really don't don't have a, a clue. And they give some examples here, you know, of a woman in her 40s whose husband died and she was, you know, grieving and, and you know, she had to tackle the family's taxes at the same time, um, you know, because it was in March. And uh, she had no idea even if her husband even filed the taxes or how the taxes mm-hmm. got paid. So just an example. And we see that all the time, you know, of folks that don't really have a, a good idea of what the other spouse is doing. In this case, it's usually the women that don't don't know. Yeah. So the, the grieving spouse had to go through TurboTax, paper files, trying to figure out and, and kind of roadmap what they had. And it took weeks and months to get that straightened out and, um you know, when you lose someone, it's obviously an emotional crisis, um, and a lot of times it turns into a financial crisis because you just don't know uh, what you have. And, and this UBS survey found that women, you know, step aside when it does come to financial planning because they think their partner maybe knows more about it. Um, they don't have an interest in planning or investing, or they're, you know, divvied up the household responsibilities like you mentioned, and the financial planning just fell to the husband. And uh, in addition, there's a strong cultural dimension as well. Um, women historically have not been taught very much about money when growing up, and, and the men have traditionally taken the lead in handling, you know, the the family finances. So, um, the, you know, the current, um, you know, it continues in the millennial generation as well. It shows that about 60% of women ages 20 to 34 let their husbands take the lead, and that's similar to women over the, the age of 50. So uh, it really does not have any difference in educational lines as well. Women with advanced degrees tend to to be left out as well. So uh, something is a wake-up call, I think. Yeah, it really is. And they give another example here of a client who had a law degree um, but wasn't kept apprised of kind of the cash flow, uh, the daily cash flow that her husband uh, managed. She was 60. They had She had two children in college when she filed for divorce. And, you know, the woman originally from Brazil found out that she was not anywhere close to retirement as she had hoped, um, didn't have anything near enough to retire. 
Um, she was unaware of how much wealth that, you know, she had to have and whether she could retire or pay, even pay her monthly bills. Um, so they had to work with it or establish a budget, of course, and, you know, kind of project out the long-term needs and remove her retirement all the way out to age 70. And we see that certainly at times when somebody it just really doesn't have a clue and we sit down with them for, for the first time, they've just gotten a divorce or, you know, had a spouse die and then find out they're really not in nearly mm-hmm. as good a shape as they might have thought they were in. Yeah, and no matter what the, the woman's background, I mean, it's challenging when you go through a traumatic um, life transition, um, you know, trying to put that together. And like you said, we, we um, you know, when something happens with our clients, um, they can come to us and we have a good picture and we help them and so forth. Right. As well, but if you don't have any kind of roadmap, um, it's terrifying. And going through a divorce or, or death, you know that that spouse has to to put that roadmap together. And this example says the the, the lady was frozen. I mean, she was scared about what she was going to see. And we actually ex- experienced this many years ago in our family when um, my brother in law was was killed in a, a car wreck overnight. And uh, I remember sitting at his computer. Mm-hmm. And this was way back in two thousand and one but trying to figure out and piece together what, what their financial situation looked like. And there were computers, but you know, it was a very slow process and uh, it was very stressful um, in that, in that process. So, you know, what we see a lot of times is, you know, when someone has that situation um, you know, sometimes they uh, get very, very stressed associated with, with where they are. Yeah. And I saw the same situation with my grandmother, when my grandfather passed away, you know, I sat down with her and she had no idea what they had or where it was at. And, you know, you just kind of try to piece together the pieces. And in that case, there were no computers. Yeah. <laughs> and it was all by paper and it, it wasn't filed very well either. <laughs> so we're looking through stacks of paper and boxes, you know, trying to find out where all the accounts are at and, you know, what her income is and what his social security was and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be, you know, uh, shocking and, and difficult if they're not, if the spouse isn't involved and the wife isn't involved in, in the finances, um, you know, and they say here, either they're completely immobilized out of fear when the unexpected happens um, and they don't act at all, or they make a really quick, bad decision. You know, in both cases, um, you know, they, if they had been planning all along, they would have done things a lot differently and it would have gone a lot smoother. So, you know, as financial advisors, we try to put ourselves in a position to really help them make those kind of decisions um, and, and, and help them to have a big picture long before anything happens of what's going on in their situation and where they're headed and where their finances are. And so, you know, that's one of the things that, that, that advisors kind of bring to the mm-hmm. table. And I think it helps to smooth it out and put, you know, both parties kind of on the same pa- same page in terms of what their financial situation is and where they're headed. Yeah, the 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 UBS survey indicates that 98% of divorced women and widows say they encourage other women to be more involved in their family finances and you know the message is out there from women who have been through this transition um but unfortunately that message doesn't seem to be getting across to everybody. So we we really recommend, I mean, on our website if you go to um investroaa.com dot com or uh, moneymd.net it'll take you to the same place there is a an inventory sheet it's called financial account inventory yep. it's under the tools that's one way that you can help out is is document what you have and sit down with your spouse and talk with them about it and make sure your kids know 
where it's located. So it's kind of a roadmap. Um, It has investment accounts and life insurance policies and phone numbers and account numbers and so forth. So that's one way to, um, to bridge this gap. The other one is, um, you know, is, is just have, you know, Dave Ramsey recommends having a, um, a budget meeting every single month. So Mm. I know you and Kathy and, 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 and Tammy and I, we sit down and we talk about money and we have that documented and, do annual planning and so forth. So it right. brings them into the picture. Not that they know every single detail, but there is a roadmap and uh, they know who to go to and what to do if if and when something happens. Yeah, me and Kathy have an asset kind of inventory sheet that I keep up once a year. I update it on uh, Excel and, um, you know, I, I send her a copy of it or give her a copy of it, you know, on her computer. So, you know, and it's got all our accounts and everything summarized into your values and, you know, where it's at and yep. account numbers and that kind of stuff. And um, so at least she has the big picture. But, yeah, I mean, I do handle the day-to-day stuff in terms of, of and that's know, okay. the I mean, big decisions. Sure. She she actually <clears throat> handles the the monthly bills. Mm-hmm. So we kind of divide and conquer, but we know what each other's doing. Yeah. And I think that's very, very important that you at least have an idea of where things are and, and what's going on. So. Very important topic. Yeah. So that was a good one. All right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question we get, uh, gosh, it seems like more and more, Steve, um, with our clients um, is, you know, my mom is having health issues and really not sure what to do and how to navigate her choices and cost, any suggestions. And so we, I mean, there's a a business in the CSRA. It's called Long-Term Liaisons, Amy Hain is a, a good resource. She basically has a business that knows the industry. Um, her number is uh, 803-215-1019. Um, again, long-term liaisons. Uh, I've referred out to to her. I know we, my family used her. I have clients that have used her that, that just help you navigate all the choices and, and what to do and what not to do um, in this situation. The other thing is when your parents start aging, think about power of attorneys as well, you know, healthcare power of attorney and financial power of attorney. So as mom is having an issue, you you can help, you know, with all the details of her financial situation and also making health decisions. Yeah. We're going through that right now with, um, Kathy's dead and, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's a very tough situation. So you want some help. You want to get all the advice you can get. So yeah, Amy would be a great, great person to reach out to interesting business she has there too yeah That's it is very it really valuable is. i agree service for folks so a good question of the week and that leads up to our next topic here and that is five rich families who lost it all and um this is based on a article out of money wise very recently um esther uh, trader and um john you know but it's easy to think that if you if you made it big like one of these families did um then it would be roses and sunshine forever. Kind of like winning the lottery, right? We exactly, did that co- exactly. We talked know? about it a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't turn out. So it doesn't always turn out well. Yeah, you got to be very prudent on this. Yeah, the euphoria lasts about a month, <clears throat> it, it appears, for lottery winners anyway. But a little longer for these families. But history does show that it's equally hard to hang on to wealth and not lose it as it is to create it in a lot of cases. Um, and we've seen that over the years, certainly with clients who inherit a nice sum Uh, But they soon lose it through some bad choices or unforeseen events. Um, And, of course, as you mentioned, the lottery winners are a classic example of that. Um, But we also see people who have kind of built their own wealth um, sometimes, but then made some bad choices on how to manage it or invest it. Um, And that's why it's important to get great advice before you make some big financial decisions. 
and and carefully do your due diligence. Yeah, history is definitely littered with families who had it all and uh, quickly let it slip through their hands. But some of America's biggest family fortunes were built in the 1800s, and that's really during the nation's rocky but formative youth. Uh, you know, the Rockefellers grew wealthy after John D. Rockefeller struck oil, and uh, Levi Strauss got rich after inventing the blue jeans as work pants uh, for the gold rush days. And a few of those huge fortunes certainly continued, but a lot of them were consumed just a couple of generations later through poor choices and also, um, unfortunately, unfortunate turn of events for those families. Yeah, that's right. And such losses, I mean, they can happen in just one generation or they can stretch out over a century or longer. But, you know, they're often driven by overspending, debt, um, investments that didn't pan out and family infighting over money. Um, and, you know, we may not have billions to lose, but we, we still can learn from these family misfortunes. So here are how five of family, the richest families in American history kind of lost their money over time. <clears throat> and we'll start off with the Vanderbilts. Um, I think this is a fascinating family. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I looked up some of their history on Wikipedia you know, in researching this. Um, but yeah, the patriarch of this family built a steamship and railroad empire um, using $100 <clears throat> that he borrowed from his mother in 1810. Impressive. Isn't that impressive? Yeah, Cornelius Commodore Vanderbilt, <clears throat> he was so successful by the end of his life that he had amassed $100 million in fortune. And this is in the 1800s. It's probably folks. like a Bill Gates today. My right? goodness, yeah, <clears throat> definitely, definitely. Yeah, the Vanderbilts were once the wealthiest family in the U.S., but over a few generations, um, it was all lost as they spent it on a wild amount of money on expensive luxuries like classical art, um, gambling, and then sprawling mansions, which we all are familiar with some of those. One of them is the Biltmore House, mm-hmm. the Breakers Mansion, and the Vanderbilt Mansion. Um, huge properties like these can quickly become a drag on wealth through depreciation, taxes, and upkeep, and and that's exactly one of the things that happened to the Vanderbilt's wealth. <clears throat> um, yeah, CNN anchor Anderson Cooper is uh, related to the Vanderbilt's. He's the son of Gloria Vanderbilt, who died uh, here very recently, and he says that his mother told him early on, you know, son, there's no trust fund. <laughs> I guess that was a shock. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> he thought, what do you mean, Mom? I'm, I'm a Vanderbilt, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid not. Yeah, today the family's former wealth, it lives on uh, through its contributions to American institutions like the Vanderbilt University and uh, the, <clears throat> the tourist visits to, mansion, to the mansions that are out there, like the Biltmore House. However, none of the heirs actually benefit financially from this legacy. So all that money which was equivalent to, you know, billions and billions of dollars today was lost. And, and a big part of that was just building these lavish mansions mm-hmm. that they built that just, you know, require, you know, upkeep, hundreds of millions of dollars of upkeep yes. in today's world. Yeah. And the second family here is the Kluges. Uh, John Warner Kluge was a TV mogul. Um, he uh, won his place on the Forbes Richest Man in America in 1987 after selling the the TV stations. Uh, held by his company called Metro Media for $4 billion. It's now operated by 21st Century Fox, um, and these stations really form the basis of the Fox television network as we know it today. Um, so he donated a lot, $500 million to Columbia University. Um, uh, the rest of the family fortune was split up many times through four marriages and eventually squandering 
um, you know, following all of those divorces as well. So Kluge's last wife, Patricia, got a million dollar per year settlement in the split in the 200 acre estate where the couple had lived together and due to the bad choice to invest all of her money in a vineyard, she went into significant debt and her property was foreclosed on after the 2008 financial crisis. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the vineyard, Heartache. the winery, and the land, they were snapped up in 2012 for a fraction of the market value by none other than Donald Trump. Oh, okay. Nice. Who <laughs> eventually purchased the mansion out of foreclosure as well. So, uh, yeah, you got to make informed decisions, you know, and, and with your investments and, you know, don't invest in a winery. That'd probably be a good, good, <laughs> a good place to start. Scratch that one off the list. Scratch that one off the list. Yeah. So, all right, next here with the Hartfords. Um, this family fortune was built by George Huntington Hartford, who was the turn of, uh, who was turned the original company uh, from a small chain of retail tea and coffee shops uh, in the U.S. through the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company into America's first grocery store chain, A&P. And uh, yeah, I really fondly remember the A&P we used to shop at as a kid. I don't know if you ever did it as well, John, but it was at Mitchell Shopping Center in Aiken. Mm. Our first Walmart opened right next door. There was Belks on the other side of it. I thought that shopping center was amazing, <laughs> you know, as a kid. Um, but yeah, the Wall Street Journal once described A&P as Walmart before Walmart. And until 1965, it was the biggest retailer in America in 1930. Um, it was the first company with revenue over a billion dollars a year. Yeah, and his sons, George and John, continued to grow the company. Um, however, the grandson, Huntington Hartford, inherited the uh, family fortune, a million and a half dollar income per year, and he squandered it through a lot of failed businesses and also lavish lifestyle. He had four failed marriages, which is expensive. He developed yeah. Hog Island uh, as a now Paradise Island in the Bahamas. <clears throat> That's pretty cool. Yeah. His $500 million fortune uh, quickly began to dry up, and after 156 years in business, AMP closed its final store in 2015. Hartford went bankrupt and lived out his final final years in a modest home in the Bahamas. So, yeah, AMPs are gone. <clears throat> They're gone. Yep, yep. And when it comes to business, yeah, you need to focus on what's proven to work. Avoid chasing the next glimmering opportunity out there. You know, the occasional spurge is okay if it falls within your budget. But whatever you do, you know, don't squander your savings in pursuit of the lavish lifestyle, I guess, is the moral of the story here. <clears throat> and uh, so you just got to be careful, you know, um, avoid the temptations on that. And Pulitzer is another uh, family here, number four here. The famous Pulitzer Prize was established by Columbia University using money donated by the family's patriarch, John Pulitzer. Um, he was a, an immigrant from Hungary who built uh, his publishing empire from nothing. Uh, Pulitzer also founded the Columbia School of Journalism. His grandson, Peter Pulitzer, <clears throat> um, was the first to drive the family's fortune into its downfall. His 800-acre citrus farm in Florida was threatened with foreclosure after disease ruined all the trees. Hmm. <laughs> so through you know documentation from his divorce, um, they estimate his net worth was $25 million. Uh, in the end, his ex-wife... Uh, his husband had to bail him out by getting a new mortgage and line of credit from the citrus grove. So maybe you want to sc- scratch off a citrus grove scratch from off the list. Scratch off the citrus grove from the list. No vineyard, no citrus grove. There you go. Yeah, after focusing, you know, on your again, you know, you focus on your proven businesses. Um, you know, you, you don't want to wrap all your investments up into a single company sector. Put yourself at greater risk. 
uh, you know, than having a well-diversified portfolio. Yeah, the last family here is the Strohs. Uh, German immigrant Bernard Stroh came to America in 1850 with $150 and a beer recipe in his pocket. He did pretty good at age 28. He established his brewery in Detroit and uh, producing a bohemian-style pilsner. And by 1865, he had expanded his business and renamed it Lion's Head Brewery. Died in 1939. Sons continued to expand the business. And by the 1980s, they had the third largest brewery in America. And the family fortune was like $700 million. Unfortunately, the company took on heavy debt. There's that debt issue. There you go. Debt issue. Yep. To purchase Slits in 1982. And then competition from American brands like Coors eventually killed the business. So that debt, you know, that's why Dave Ramsey says stay away from it. It'll wipe out fortunes. Wiped out a fortune. There you go. Yeah. All those strove, you know, tried to create new products such as specialty and non-alcoholic beers and tried to expand internationally. The company eventually was bought out uh, by a bigger brand for pennies on the dollar. All in all, Stroh's family, $700 million fortune was decimated. So anyway, as you can see from these examples, you know, family fortunes that were laid to waste, um, you know, it's a common theme here that anything can happen to one company. You know, no matter how great of a product or an idea they have, the key to lasting wealth is diversification, living well below your means, um, of course, you know, failure in relationships is another common theme that you hear from these families that that eroded their wealth, you know, through all their divorces. Um, but diversification, managing expenses, those are the keys to lasting wealth that can survive multiple generations. So interesting story. Mm-hmm. And uh, that leads up to our last thing here, John, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this is a, a good one. Beware of timeshare sales. Uh, we we hear right. there's businesses that have been created to get you out of timeshares. Dave Ramsey is That's right. coordinated with one that's called Timeshare Exit Team. And so because people fall for the, the pitch, right? And you have some experience in not I falling do. for it. I do. Very recently, yeah. So when you go on vacation, you know, you're, you're going to get the pitch, right, if you haven't been on vacation this year. Um, and there's kind of a new twist to it now. Um, rather than timeshares, they call it fractional ownership. Ah, it's There you go. You know? And, of course, the incentives are very, you know, very tempting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I went to a timeshare presentation. I got $600 in incentives. You, got it. you went to a fractional ownership presentation. I did. It was Fractional ownership, what they told me. <laughs> fractional ownership, right. You know, it was, well, they don't even tell you that much up front, right? Yeah. I just wanted to play the golf course. And the only way I could get on was to go through this timeshare presentation. So I was like, okay, you know, 36-ranked golf course in the world. All right, I'll do it. So <laughs> I went and did it, you know, donated four hours of my time. And, uh, you know, and you listen to these stories, and it, it they tell you, and it, it it's the same old thing. They tell you it's different. No, it's different. This is fractional ownership. They'll buy it back if you want to. Um, you know, they tell you all that stuff. They tell you you don't have to buy it today. There's no pressure. But in the end, it turns into the same sleazy presentation at the end. It's a high-pressure sales pitch at the end. They want lots of money. You have to buy it today. You can't wait. You can't do any research. You can't go, you know, think about it. Um, and, you know, and it sounds great on the surface. But then you go and research it later and you find out, no, I mean, everybody that's in it can never get out. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't trade the weeks like they say you can trade them. And, you know, it's not it's not worth anything. It is it is being sold in the secondary market, regardless of what they say, for nothing. half price yeah. or nothing. Yeah. 
you know. So so if you want a timeshare, if you want a piece of something like that that you can use one week out of the year, you know, for heaven's sake, go buy it on the secondary market for a fraction, mm-hmm. you know. But you're still going to have the maintenance fee. You're going to have all the same problems. You're not going to be able to get out of it very easily. And if you do get out, you'll probably get nothing for it. Yep. So um, just beware of the fractional ownership offer yeah. out there in timeshares. Same old story. Good prescription. There you go. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.